Well, good morning. Glad you guys are joining us. For those of you who are joining us online, we're glad that you're joining us as well. Hey, uh, Easter is next week. And uh, we would love for you to join us for Easter. As you saw, we're doing it in the parking lot. So uh, whether you're joining us online or in person, we would love for you to RSVP. Unfortunately, like on most big services, big weekends, we can like pull in more chairs. The reality is we just can't pull in more parking spots into our parking lot. So we'd love for you to join us 6 a.m. sunrise, 9 or 11, as we celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus. Also, hey, um... Beavers fans? Woo! I mean, that's pretty disappointing in the celebration for 40 years of abysmal men's basketball. But anyways, uh, celebration, you guys, you guys won. I, you know, um, the, I, I, I don't know how you sleep at night, though, after uh, crushing uh, Sister Jean's hopes and dreams. Um, <laughs> That's an old woman, and I, and I think she's going to have some words with some of you guys when you guys are all in heaven together, because uh, Loyola is her team, and apparently God's team, but they lost. So, um, if Loyola is God's team, I don't know what that makes Oregon State. Well, I do. I just don't want to say it from the stage. Um, hey, uh, I'm glad you joined us. We are continuing through the book of Matthew, so if you have a Bible, Matthew 16 is where we're going to be. Matthew 16, we're going to start in verse 24. We're going to get there in a minute, but first, I, I want to catch you up to where we are. Last week, we talked about one of the most significant passages in the book of Matthew. It's, it's this, this spot it's called, uh, that we call Peter's Confession, or the Good Confession, or the Great Confession, depending on how excited a person that you are. And uh, in this moment, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, who, who do they say that I am? And, and uh, the, the disciples say, well, you know, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, some say John the Baptist, some say you're a good prophet, and, and, and he goes, okay, okay, um, who, do they say, who do you think that I am, right? Now, at this point, if you've read the story, if you know the story of the disciples, you, you probably just expect Peter to be the one to speak. And if you know Peter and you know the story of the disciples, you not only expect Peter to be the one to speak, but you expect Peter to be the one to say something stupid, right? But he doesn't. He, he says this really beautiful, profound statement. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, now in English and in our culture, that statement isn't even as weighty or beautiful or as significant as it is seems to us as it did to them. It was so, what he, well, Jesus says this way. He says, he says, oh, wow, right? Like he knows Peter. He knows the dumb things Peter says. He says, you could not have thought of that. You couldn't have thought of that yourself, that, that God must have revealed, the Father revealed that to you because when we read it, we talked about this last week, a lot of times we read Peter saying, you are the Savior, but what Peter is actually saying is way bigger than that. That's true, but it's way bigger than just that. Because you see, the word uh, Christ is, is uh, in the Hebrew language, and the Hebrew people, they would use the word Messiah. It's the same word. Christ, Messiah, it's, it's the same word. Um, it literally means the anointed. Now again, culturally to us, that's not a word we use very often, right? We might 
We might, in some context, use it in referring to sports. Maybe if you've been around certain church worlds and certain church cultures, you know, you might talk about someone being anointed. But, um, but in, in their culture, the word anointed was always preceding a noun, and that noun was king. It was the only context that they understood anointing for. To be the anointed was to be the anointed king. So what Peter is saying to Jesus, what he's saying in his great confession is that that Jesus is the king of all creation that the Jews and really all of humanity had waited and waited and waited for. That he is the king of of all creation, right? And Jesus goes, Peter, (laughs) Peter, you didn't mess it up this time. You figured it out, right? God revealed that to you. And then Jesus begins to explain to him what it means for him to be the king of all of creation. Because see, here's the deal. Here's an important truth we have to remember. If Jesus is the king, he gets to set the rules. Now, now I I know that we don't live in monarchy. We have really no context for understanding what a monarchy looks like. But a monarchy in a monarchy with a king, they get to decide everything. They they are uh, sovereign in every way. And this is what Peter is saying of Jesus, that he is the king. He is sovereign in everything. And so Jesus begins to explain to Peter and the disciples. It says in the past we looked at, he begins to explain to them what his kingdom is going to look like. Right? Because this is the message that Jesus has been saying all throughout his ministry. The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is in your midst, right? And he begins to explain to the disciples what his kingship is going to look like. And he begins to tell them, he says, you know, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to get arrested and I'm going to get killed. Now, Peter, getting a little big for his britches, got a little confident that he got one right answer. Okay? And so it says that he draws Jesus aside and he begins to rebuke, or uh, another way we could, we could translate that is to blame, to blame Jesus. He begins to pull Jesus aside and he goes, hey, Jesus, 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 Jesus. You remember that whole thing you said about like God speaks to me? You remember, you remember that part? You know, the father, he spoke to me. Um, I, I, I think we need to have a little chat because you and I aren't on the same page about this. And Jesus says, he says these words, you've seen it probably, he says, get behind me, Satan. I, I, wonder, I wonder how often that happens for you. I, I wonder how often Jesus begins to try and explain to you through his word, through prayer, through worship, through the body, through other people, what he's calling you to and what his kingdom is going to look like. And we go, wait, wait, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, Jesus. Jesus I'm, I'm all about this like grace thing and I'm all about this mercy and I'm all about you and peace and all that kind of stuff, but um, sacrifice? Jesus, Jesus, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. Hey, hey, hey. I think we need to chat. But you see, here's an important detail that Peter, that Jesus is trying to teach Peter and the disciples, and thereby us. There are no co-kingships in the kingdom of heaven. 
There is no, there's no you and Jesus deciding together what the, if Jesus is sovereign, if Jesus is king, then by that we are admitting, acknowledging, submitting to the fact that he gets to make the rules. Peter's great confession is that you are the king of all of creation. And if he is the king, then as his subjects, we, we don't get to make the rules. It is his sovereign authority, sovereign responsibility, sovereign gifting that he gets to decide what his kingdom looks like. A lot of times we like to muddy the waters of what Jesus is calling us to do, what it means to be a part of his kingdom. I think sometimes we, sometimes we do it because we really honestly don't know. Sometimes we like to make following Jesus overly complicated that Jesus being king of our life, Jesus being the Lord of your life, Jesus being the Savior, Jesus being the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus being the one that all of your worship, worship is worthy of. We like to sometimes kind of overly complicate it because it gives us an excuse to not have to listen. We, we like to go, well, I mean, you know, the Bible doesn't expressly speak to it. I mean, you know, there's a lot of vagueness. There's a lot of gray area. This is really situational. And, you know, well, you know, I, I talked to Jimmy, and Jimmy said that I should do this. And I talked to Tim, and Tim said that I should do this. But if Jesus is king, if Jesus is king of all of creation, if Jesus is king of your life, that is a testimony, that is a, 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 a confession that demands submission to his lordship. And not just submission, but a kind of submission that leads to obedience. So, so look at what Jesus has to say to his disciples, because he's going to tell them what it means to be a part of his kingdom, what it means to be a follower of him. So look at verse 24. It says this. Did I not turn the TV on? Maybe not. It says this in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let's just stop there for a second. Look at, first of all, look at just how gracious Jesus is. Jesus, Jesus, we believe, we believe that this teaches that our faith is based on the fact that, that, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that there is no name under heaven that men might be saved. That Jesus sits as the rightful king over all creation, sovereign over everything. And, and look, at, look at what he says. If anyone wants to come after me, almost exclusively, Jesus begins with an invitation. He's sovereign. He's the king. He rules and reigns over everything. Scripture says that in him, everything was made. For him, everything was made. That everything is held together by him. He could have the rightful position to say, you will do this. But our gracious king begins with the question of, if you want to. If you want to follow me, this phrase here in Greek, um, it, 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 sometimes it's translated, if anyone wants to follow after me, you may have that in your translation. If you have a different translation, that's a great translation. The reason a lot of translators don't do that is because, as you see, it gets repetitive. If anybody wants to follow me, then they should follow me. That seems a little repetitive, which is actually Jesus' point we'll get to in a minute, right? 
But it's literally, the image here is if anyone wants to come, if anyone wants to come behind me, to come behind me. It's it's about a position, it's about a posture that we get behind. You see, that was Peter's problem. Do you see it? Peter makes this great confession. You're the king. And then Peter gets over the front of his skis. Peter gets out in front of Jesus. Jesus is walking this direction. Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem. And Jesus runs out in front of Peter. Uh, Peter runs out in front of Jesus and goes, come on, Jesus, let's go this way. And do you remember, do you remember what Jesus says to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Jesus, again, says the exact same phrase, minus the Satan, right here. If anyone wants to, get behind me. This is a gracious invitation. And, and it's the question. It's, it's, it's the only question we have to ask today. Is, do you want to? Do you want to follow Jesus? Do, do you want to be in his kingdom? Do you want to be uh, under his lordship? Do you want to be in submission to his good and gracious kinship? Do you want to follow Jesus? Because Jesus is going to make some demands of us if we're going to be followers of Jesus, but it begins with the simple question of do you actually want to follow him? Because you see, if, 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 if your demands on yourself don't look like the ones Jesus puts on, I, I, I would contend with you that you're probably not following the Jesus of this Bible. You may be following a Jesus you've made up in your mind that's a good buddy and a friend and kind of a counselor that guides you and gives you some direction when you get into a pinch and can bail you out. Because you see, here's the thing. We love Jesus as king when he provides and protects for us. But when he demands submission obedience and sacrifice comes back to the single question. Do you want to follow him? I think, I just want to sit on that for a second because I think it's an honest question we have to ask ourselves. Like just in your own heart, in your own mind, in this moment, just be honest with yourself. Do you actually want to follow Jesus or do you just want to be spared a discomfort? Do you just want someone that can pat you on the back? Do you just want a ticket into heaven? Or do you actually find in your heart desire and affection for this Jesus? It says, if anyone wants to come after me, it's an invitation to you, to me, to every single one of us, every single day. It's a choice we have to make to respond to every single day. And he says, this is what it looks like. If you want to follow me, if you want to get behind me, get in line with what I'm doing, you must deny yourself. You must take up his cross and follow me. He must deny himself. This is something that Paul talks about a lot. Take up his cross. This is something that's, that's worked out later in Scripture a lot in the epistles and uh, to follow me. Now, there's a word here. Again, you're not going to see this in English, but there's a word here um, that we actually don't translate because every English teacher would lose their mind if we translated it, okay? This is the word. Right here, it says this. Um, If anyone wants to get behind me, follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And every English teacher would circle that in red marker, scratch out the first and, and put a comma and say, that's a run-on sentence, Okay, 
So that's why we don't do it. But there's a, there's a Greek word right there, and. And, and that word, um, when, you're, when you're working with the word and, this is a little bit kind of top shelf, okay? But here we go. You guys with me? Can you be with me for 30 seconds to think academically about scripture? Um, when you work with the word and, you can use the word and as, um, subs, uh, as um, additive, additive or complementary, okay? So you can use the word and to say um, that all these things go together, that they're all, like something is blue and reddish, right? So it, it's, it is both, they're together. Or you can say, hey, don't forget to bring your shoes and your backpack and your hair, I don't know, if you wear a wig, okay? <laughs> you can, right? It can be, now, this, this is, this is the type of and that is clarifying, okay? It's not different things. In the Greek language, it's not different things. So one translator said that we could translate this. Look, look at this way. This is really helpful and is gonna give us something. Is, hit the next slide here. There we go. Uh, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself. What I mean is take up his cross. What I mean is follow me. You can see, sometimes when we come to this passage, if you've read this passage before, we, we try and parse out what does it mean to deny ourselves differently than one means to um, carry our cross? What does it mean separately to follow Jesus? And, and here's what Jesus is trying to say. It's just this simple. If you want to follow me, follow me. Like if you really want to, we, we can give a bunch of examples. We can give a bunch of different ways. And Jesus is going to say, sometimes what it means to follow me is you have to deny your own desires, your own preferences, or your own dreams. That's exactly what he's saying to Peter. Peter wants Jesus to come riding in on a horse with a sword, celebrating the warrior victory of crushing the Roman Empire and building up his own physical empire with borders and, and a temple and, and a capital and a throne that Jesus sits on in Jerusalem. And Jesus says to him, hey, Peter, Peter, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to give up on those dreams. Because those dreams, that's exactly what he says to Peter. He says, Peter, Peter, get behind me. You've gotten your mind off the things of God and on the things of this world. And sometimes following Jesus looks like denying ourselves. Sometimes following Jesus looks like uh, public oppression. Sometimes following Jesus looks like even giving our own life. Almost every single one of the disciples gave their life or murdered for Jesus, but it could mean a million things. We could come up with a whole list of things here that Jesus could say, I, I mean, you know, sometimes it means giving up your time. I, I mean, it means sacrificing. I mean, it means being uncomfortable. I mean, it, it means treating your marriage in the way that I tell you is the right way to treat your marriage and treating your kids and treating your job and responding to the, the world and engaging politics. It means all of these things, but in the end, it just means this. Follow me. If you want to follow me, there is no excuse, there is no out, there is no co-kingship in the kingdom of God. There is one king, and you have to make that decision today and every day, is will Jesus be king of your life? Will you follow him wherever he leads you or calls you? Now, I've got a theory, no, this is just my theory, Okay, just go with me on this. 
I think one of the reasons Jesus didn't list out a bunch of things, I mean, Paul, like later in the epistles and Paul, they'll write a bunch of things about what it looks like to follow Jesus. But I wonder if one of the reasons Jesus didn't list off all the reasons, uh, not, not all the reasons, all the ways of what it looks like to follow Jesus is because, because of the Holy Spirit, because God speaks to us each day and because of this, because I bet you know what it means. I bet, I bet that for every single one of us, there is something that Jesus has been asking you to follow him in. And maybe if Jesus wrote a list of 100 things, it would have been one of those things on there. But maybe it wouldn't be. I bet that for every single one of us, there's something in your life that you know that God's been asking you to trust him in. That God's been asking you to, 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 to give to him, to be obedient to him in this way. I bet if you're honest, just for a moment with yourself, that you know that thing that Jesus is saying to you, hey, 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 in this, you need to follow me. So the question for you is, do you want to? Do you want to follow Jesus? Because if you do, then you will submit to him as king in a way that will lead to obedience. That's what Jesus is saying here. That if he is king of your life, you will submit to his kingship in a way that will lead to obedience. When we choose not to obey the things that Jesus is calling us to, it exposes in our heart that at least for that moment, not for all eternity, not for all of your life, but at least in that moment, we don't trust Jesus to be king of our life. So what is it for you? Follow me. And the path I'm calling you to, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem comfortable. You don't like it, but you follow me. In fact, this is a message that Jesus has to repeat to Peter over and over again. Uh, in the end of the book of John, there's a story in the end of the book of John. Jesus is risen, and um, all the disciples are walking on the beach together. It just sounds like a, a story from like somebody's spring break. They're all walking down the beach together. And Peter says to Jesus, he says, um, what, what about him? What, what about John? What about that guy? What are you going to do with him? And Jesus says twice to Peter, twice in the same conversation, he says, you don't worry about him. You follow me. You don't worry about him. You follow me. So the question for you today is just that simple. Will you follow him? See, Jesus expects us to to have some pushback and some discomfort, which is why the conversation doesn't end here, because Jesus shows us what our two options are. So if you continue on, it says this in verse 25. Jesus builds out this counter-argument. He says, forever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It goes on. For what good will it do a person if he gains the whole world? but forfeits his soul. Or what will a person give in exchange for his soul? Verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every single person according to his deeds. Jesus just asked the disciples this question through this argument. What's your other option? What are you going to do? 
accumulate recognition, accumulate stuff, accumulate um, uh, pleasures and comforts. In the end, this is the story of the book of Ecclesiastes. The guy just basically writes, he's like, everything is vanity. Nothing has any meaning. There, there's one portion, uh, it's my favorite. I'll teach my children this often as they grow up. Um, it says, uh, why leave an inheritance to your reckless children? They're just going to waste it. Right? What's it profit you? What, this is Jesus' question to you. What else are you going to do with your life that has any meaning? You know, slide through comfortably, safe, getting to the end of life with a comfortable retirement and sitting on a beach somewhere. And then one day you'll sit in front of Jesus and Jesus will say to you, hey, hey, what did you do with all the years that I gave you? And you'll be like, Jesus, Jesus, I, I did a lot of really important things. I, I was really gracious. Um, I, I was really generous. I, I you know, I, I did some really nice humanitarian things. And, and Jesus, I, I brought you uh, my really special, I brought you seven sand dollars. He's going to go, what, what are you talking about? What, you ta- what could you exchange for a seat in heaven? What could you exchange to be a part of the family of God? What could you exchange to be called sons and daughters of our king? Jesus just asked you. You can either follow me as king or what else is there? So the question for you today is what is it? I, I know it's there. I, I know the discomfort in these kind of conversations is, is not a theological or intellectual conversation because we know that if Jesus is king, that he is sovereign, that he gets to make the rules, there's no theological or intellectual issue with this, but the pushback you feel in your heart and your mind is in the fact that Jesus is actually calling you to something. That just like Peter, he's asking Peter to be willing to give up his own life to give up his plans and his dreams for what God wants to do in this world to simply follow him. So what is it for you? What is it that he's calling you to? And maybe more importantly, maybe the question is just this. Do you want to follow him? Because if not, like let's just stop wasting all of our time. But if you do, if you do want to sit in submission to our good King and Lord who is gracious and kind and sit in a kind of submission that leads to obedience, not just verbal recognition, then what is it for you today?